You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey, Greg, I want to make a movie. Shoot. I want to make a new Aliens movie. Yeah, we don't have the IP for that. Oh, um, well, let me just change some names in my script. One sec. I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast where we shine our glowing insights into the deep, dark caves of cinema, nuts to whatever we might discover within. (laughs) My name is Liam Kreswick. I am one of your hosts. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I am another one of your hosts. I'm Greg Beer. I'm the other, other host. (laughs) And today we are discussing the 2000 movie. Uh, It came out in the year 2000. (laughs) Yeah, you can't, you can't put a nice stank on the on the numbers. Like it's not like oh, the 2014 film, the 1987, the 2000 <laughs> film, uh, Pitch Black. I legit did not realize this movie was that old. Uh, I did only because I distinctly remember going to see this for one of my um, one of my teenage birthdays. Uh, oh no! And so I looked it up and would have been I I would have been uh, 13. When this film oh yeah, came out. for sure. I went and saw this movie in theaters. I distinctly yeah. remember that, but I just didn't realize it was that long ago. It feels like it was a more recent movie than that. Well, they know, made all but... those cool sequels. <laughs> yeah. that, and maybe that's why. Maybe that's why it's just so fresh in my mind. I don't. Uh, to me, like, it, like it's got like the special effects have strong Daredevil energy, you know. So like it. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I believe I referred to them as very PS one cutscene. Yeah, certainly the uh, the hammerhead alien things. Their teeth look very much like they're straight out of like a Resident Evil cutscene or something like that. Yeah, um, I got hung up on the year it came out. I just want to make sure I say it again. Pitch black. There's a slight <laughs> possibility I said pitch perfect, and none of us noticed. Um, so. And our audience yeah. is going to have no idea what's going on. When we start talking about the film. <laughs> Those weird alien things slay the cup song. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, Pitch Pitch Black, starring, of course, uh, Vin Diesel uh, as uh, Richard B. Riddick, or Dickie Riddick. Um, <laughs> as they like to Rat- call him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rada Michelle uh, as Carolyn Fry, Cole Hauser as William Johns, Keith David as Abu uh, Imam, in the little brackets there, uh, Abu Al-Walidi, uh, aka Imam, uh, and Claudia Black as Sharon Montgomery. Directed by, uh, of course, David Tui. Uh, more like David Hui. <laughs> uh. Got him. Oh, he did The I Fugitive mean, and Waterworld. That's who. Shut up, yeah, Liam. Well, he, he <laughs> wrote The Fugitive and Waterworld. Yeah. yeah, Rotor. Rotor. Yeah. Rotor. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, we just, we'll <laughs> you just mentioned that there were a couple sequels to this movie. And I'm curious, have either of you actually seen either of them? Because I, full disclosure, have not. I I saw the second sequel in theaters. I remember almost nothing about it, other <laughs> other than it it was very beige, and I think that's about all I can say about it. 
I mean, there are points in this movie where it's very beige as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's also points in movies where the whole rainbow in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, the color grading in this movie was just, it was just a feast. Someone was in, in the art department was just going wild. Yeah. Full disclosure, uh, I actually quite liked the color. <laughs> me too. Actually, yeah, you, I yeah, thought it was were, neat. Um, uh, in our in our group chat, there was uh, aspersions made to both the effects of the monsters and the color gradient. Gradient, and I feel like over the next hour, I'm going to have to defend both. <laughs> uh, but uh, to answer your question, Scott, I have not not seen them. I uh, someone I, I used to uh, work with. Uh, really, really, really liked all these movies, uh, and it sort of turned turned me off <laughs> these films in general. So, here's the thing: I remember rather liking Pitch Black when it came out, and this is I'm going to say probably the first time I've seen it again since it came out. Yeah, and uh, it's <clears throat> still pretty good. Like, it's not that bad. It's not great, but it's not that bad. And, um. It makes me wonder why I never bothered to check out the sequels, because it's not like I hated this movie and never wanted to watch another movie with Riddick in it. I just never got around to watching them and had no interest in it. And I'm I'm a little surprised at myself that that was the case, because, again, I, I rather liked this movie overall. Honestly, there's part of me now, as you were saying that, where I'm like, have I seen Chronicles of Riddick? Because <laughs> um, I well, remember I mean- more of him being in, like, the, like... I, I feel I kept waiting for there to be a scene in this movie where he was down with a bunch of like pr- other prisoner guys and he's got to like run away from the heat. And now I'm starting to think, I think I've seen one of the other Chronicles of Riddick movies. Cause I very distinctly remember this, some scene in the science fiction movie with Vin Diesel where the, like the sun is rising and scorching the ground and they have to like tear ass to like keep pace with the shadow lest they be burned alive and I'm starting to think that might be... I'm glad we're doing this live to tape. This is definitely... I sound like a, a real authoritative movie nerd. <laughs> Liam here. tries to remember a movie. <laughs> Here's but, the yeah. thing. I remember that happening in Futurama, so I think you've mixed stuff up. <laughs> Maybe. No, I, mm. I mean, you anyway. could be forgiven, really. I mean, for, for yeah. not remembering. If, like, if, if you had had seen Chronicles of Riddick and not connected that it was that... You know, it was the same character as in Pitch Black because oh yeah, maybe Chronicles of Riddick is is so different from uh, Pitch Black in in look and feel. Yeah, they they scarcely feel like the same universe. I said I said before we recorded, it was kind of like if you smashed together Phantom Menace and Dune, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that definitely matches up with the alien with the serial numbers filed off aesthetic of the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are all the same thing. Yeah. In fact, I noticed a, about a, uh, two or three days before we watched this, I noticed Alien is on Disney Plus Star. I was like, man, I should watch Alien. And then we started watching this, and I'm like, I should have watched Alien. Yeah, <laughs> you should, you, yeah, you should have. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's hear from the the trailer. They say most of your brain shuts down in cryosleep, all but the animal side. Guess that's why I'm still awake. If the man is gone, he's gone. Why should he bother us? Maybe to take what you got. Maybe to work your nerves. Is he really that dangerous? Only around humans. Zeke! All you people are so scared of me. 
But it ain't me you gotta worry about now. Whatever it is, it got Zeke and it nearly got me! Get it off me! They seem to stick to darkness. So if we stick to daylight, we should be all right. The intrepid crew of the USS Hunter Gratzner are enjoying some spacey goodnights when their ship is struck by a meteor storm. Pilot Carolyn Fry manages to land about 10% of the ship on a remote desert planet scorched by three suns. The captain is dead. There is no water. And to top it off, a murderous prisoner named Richard B. Riddick has escaped. Fry has barely finished counting the number of ways she and her fellow survivors are boned, when she discovers a nocturnal species of hammerhead pterodactyls that enjoy ripping humans to pieces. Thankfully, the planet's three suns keep everyone safe in the day- Oh, no, Eclipse. Fry must now find a way to guide her crew to safety while being hunted in the pitch black. Are we? Can we have that fight about the color grading now? I really yeah, want to I th- about Yeah, I thought it. it was charming. It really did seem like somebody had just, like, it was the year 2000, someone was uh, working in the graphics department and was like, I can make it blue, and I can make it red, and I can make, like, and just so pleased and everyone gathered around, like, hovered over a, a computer being like, ooh, ooh, it looks like, it looks all sunny now, ooh. Um, it was endearing. I found it and the, the alien vision, the, like, um black and white, grainy, daredevil, alien vision. I found it all incredibly endearing. I didn't care for the alien vision much, but I did like, and not because I thought the effect was poor, but because I just, I I felt like it was unnecessary. Uh, But I did like the color grading, and it's because it made the planet feel really alien. Um, because it was just washed out and the sun was giving off a different, like, spectrum of light. And, like, I bought it. I thought it looked really, really neat. And I thought it it made things look a little off, a little alien. And then, of course, when the, when the suns go down or the, the Jupiter rises on the horizon and blocks out the sun, uh, it was, I, I missed it because it had been so pervasive and it was so, uh, so jarring, but in, in a good way that the darkness felt more oppressive in a way. And I thought it was, it was a really smart way to do it. I quite liked the effect actually. I did not. Um, I think in, in a way I understand, um, I think there's rhyme or reason to it. Um, I just didn't think it worked like the. I, I think I think the idea was that because there were there were three suns that the temperature of light of those suns would might be slightly different. So uh, depending on, you know, what sun had gone down at, at what time the the color grading would change like that and and that that that'd be really kind of like a neat sci-fi sort of thing to to explore like you know this is this this one sun goes down and now it's you know this the redder sun is up and now everything's red um but i i think for me like i, I think you're right scott the, like the, the washed out nature of it and i think like especially when you're kind of shooting on location like they were um it makes a lot of sense to 
um, to do to play with your color grading to make the world feel more alien. So that's certainly you know there's no I have no problems with that. It's just it's just when it kept shifting, um, and it would it would sh- it would shift within scene um, that really was jarring to me. Uh, so it was more of a consistency thing. Yeah, I think if it if it was if it, even if it changed slowly over time. Um, that'd be okay. Or, or if we got a sense of like, okay, you know, this sun went down and now there's a different color grading, uh, that would kind of help me along a little bit personally. Fair enough. It's interesting that you say, uh, kind of the inconsistency within like cuts between scenes, because one of the things that I found very jarring during the early part of the movie, um, like things get very linear toward the end of the movie and it's very easy to follow. But early on, shortly after the crash, things are really sloppily edited and we like keep jumping forward in a really hard to follow way for the much of the first act of the movie, I would say. Um, and like it, it, it made it so that there were parts of the story that were just kind of missing and where it's like, oh, we're here now. And it's clearly hours later. And there, I was given no context for that until I pieced it together myself. And I felt like that was poorly done. I think I think the edit could have been better. And I think that uh, they could have made the chronology of the first part of the movie a little more clear to us. I, I had the same thought about the first part, but more of a geography uh, and then once I got the geography of where they were kind of laid out in my head, I told myself, no, no, it's, that's not a problem. Um, but hearing you say that about the first act, yeah, I think I think the edi- editing in the first act really convolutes some of the chronology and some of the, like, geography of where they are, like the crash in relation to the outpost. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think that could have been done better, for sure. And certainly, like, it's it's fairly important because the, the walk back to the... Uh, the outpost is the key part of the climax, right? So making sure the audience understands the space or relationship is pretty important. Yeah. I don't know. Like I thought, I actually thought the, the start of the film was quite good. I thought that with, with the, the, the crash at, at any rate, like it may be not the, the, um, uh, the post crash scene, but um, I liked most of the. Mo- I liked being just thrown into it, you know, just yeah. seeing the spaceship heading mm-hmm. right for the dust cloud, and then all of a sudden uh, things start to go haywire. Uh, I, I think that was a really great um, uh, beginning to the film, um, and, and you know, pretty intense. Um, and you got some some good little character moments in there with 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 Fry uh, potentially trying to like dump all the crew to save herself, right? And obviously that's pretty pretty important to your character arc. So like lots of, you know, the, you know it's pretty it's a pretty efficient opening. You get to you you get to uh, know Carolyn a, a little bit uh, without her having to say a whole lot. And it was, yeah, it was definitely an exciting start. I found, I, I kind of caught myself doing the thing where I was like, whatever, you know, pillow in my lap or whatever that I was gripping, I was like, oh man, I was kind of gripping that a little tight. That was, I was, <laughs> I was invested, um, right off the bat. So yeah, no, the, the, the opening was sick. I think Scott's right that, that, that the editing certainly when they land is, is a little bit, uh, yeah. a little jarring. And, and I think there was a strange edit, I think where, they cut away from um, the guy who had the the pole in his in his chest, um, yep. and and everyone's outside sort of talking. And I th- I thought what was going to happen is we were going to get a cut back to um, Carolyn 
um, basically mercy killing the dude. Um, but then, it, then we just get a, like a short scene, like a, a short clip of her just sort of holding his body, and then we're we're back to like her being outside, and and we kind of almost forget that that guy existed until a little later in the movie. I don't know. It yep. just felt like it felt like there was something else there that they that either they cut or just you know um, maybe uh, didn't think about adding. Does Riddick ever narrate again after the beginning when he's like talking well in cryostasis? Is it the nope. Narrate at the end. Does he? I don't recall him doing that. I think he just talks with Jack at the yeah, end. Yeah, he just talks. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He narrates to right to the audience at the beginning and then never again. Which is kind of weird now that you pointed it out. Like, that actually is like, that was a weird choice. Yeah, I think it's one of those things they're just expecting you to forget. And I'm like, you know what? No, I've watched this movie twice in my life now. I noticed. (laughs) I noticed, David like, Yeah, I feel like you could have done that opening without necessarily having Riddick uh, narrate it. And do it in such a way that the, the audience can still follow who's who. And uh, what's going on in the first uh, little bit of the movie there? Yeah, they could have they could have had it where just like you know uh, Fry and um, uh, Johns wake up out of cryostasis and do a quick like inventory check of everyone else in their vicinity. Like, yep, we've still got this guy and this this you know dude on his way to New Mecca and this Vin Diesel looking uh, murderer guy. What's his backstory? Oh, I'll tell you quickly. Oh no, we're crashing! Like, yeah, they they could have. You didn't need the Vin Diesel. Not I mean, maybe a little nitpicky, but you didn't need the Vin Diesel um, narration voiceover. I think you could have just done it with the two of them before they crashed. Or alternately, you can come at it the other way and have Vin Diesel continue to narrate the story. Yeah, um, yeah, because but- he whispers something about like how how he's like got voices in his head or something, right? Yeah, but you, yeah. we don't get that. So, yeah. and I think the the path of least resistance just cut it out. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't I didn't actually mind it that much. Um, it, it, the problem is, is that outside of that little narration is like for some characters like that's all the character development we get is Vin Diesel telling us <laughs> who they who they were or whatever. And then they get to the planet and they just die without us uh, really getting to know them, which is uh, maybe probably the crux of the flaw with the film. Really, I I don't know. I found the survivors, with the exception of the one lady who should have stayed down and then gets eaten by bats. Um, I most Claudia everybody Black. else who dies gets gets good development. I think mm-hmm. they get okay development. They yeah. could have gotten better development. Do the do the three uh, religious kids get development at all? I mean, they, no. like and they're just each, they're just no, yeah, yeah. And I mean, let's be fair. If they wanted to survive this movie, they should have learned English, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> that was I. I don't mean that seriously. And that is actually, to be fair, that's a joke that Greg made. And it's it's <laughs> so right, really so right. Un- Greg letters. <laughs> well, no, it's it's, but it's. I mean, he he meant it facetiously too. It's a uh, pointed criticism, though, that of course the three characters the three brown kids who don't speak English end up dying in the movie. And that's kind of yeah. cruel of the movie actually to do. Yeah. And I feel like the movie was trying to be like, wink, wink, hey, the black guy survived, um, but failed in another critical way in that like all of the other ethnic characters are just like monster food. Yeah. And, the, and they're, you know, they're young kids too. Like it's it's actually, 
it's actually pretty brutal um, as well, right? Like, it's just, you know, I, I like, they, you know, they get uh, ganked pretty visually, and, like, usually usually movies are a little softer on, on children, not this one. Yeah, well, they and, show you his and, face. They put yeah. a fucking 14-year-old with his face eaten off by bats. Yeah. And here's the weird thing. The movie goes out of its way to make us sympathetic to Jack because Jack's a kid, and Jack's vulnerable because of that. And we're supposed to be more afraid for Jack's character because uh, because she's young and because she's a girl. and But then it go, it turns around and it just devours the three young young boys in the cast. Yeah. <laughs> and it's That's like, what, just classic men's rights unfairness, <laughs> no. I tell you. Child, child family law. And, no. I'm saying the movie, it's it's exactly like having the black guy survive in this case. It's the movie trying to have it both ways. It's it, yeah. it's killing off yeah. a bunch of kids while, while trying to make us feel afraid for the other kid. And it's it's a weird choice it's also again it's kind of mean because it's the it's the three ethnic kids who end up dying right yeah Yeah. and it makes me feel um uncomfortable because like the the three of them are are virtually indistinguishable from one another like like they they, the movie never takes a lot of time to, to sit you down and and tell you each of their names or anything like that yeah you kind of learn their names as they die yeah exactly and it's or just, if you have the subtitles on like i did <laughs> yeah it's like that it's just yeah it just it feels real loading up the the kill fodder uh with them and it's yeah just a, yeah it didn't sit very well with me this is actually one of my big complaints about the movie overall is that you can tell who's going to die. Like the movie mm-hmm. telegraphs with one possible exception, the movie telegraphs uh, from very early on who all of the, who all the people who are going to get eaten by monsters in the third act are. And I feel like that's a disservice to the script. I feel like we, it could have been more surprising and more, uh, more tragic um, if it wasn't so obvious, like who the bad guys are and who the monster chow are like right from jump yeah Spe- speaking of who me? the bad guys are <laughs> i think uh just to talk about some of the things i did like about this movie um i did like the reveal that uh john's is a is a bounty hunter not a cop i i feel like that was an appropriate amount of like surprise and foreshadowing and notable turn and and uh just in general i like that relationship between the two of them um, I I did like that, but I think that the movie tips its hand about John's being a uh, complete like jerk uh, too early. I think the reveal that he's a bounty hunter can cast some gray onto him, but then right after that, the movie just turns him into a villain. Like it, that is his turn right there, and from then on, he's just a complete jerk to everyone, and you're kind of rooting for Riddick to beat him. And I feel like. I feel like the movie tips its hand too early in that case. I, I think they could have they could have grayed up his character at that time and then still made it like a shocking turn that he's like, we should just kill the girl and use her for bait in the third act. That could be that could have been more horrific if it if it wasn't so obvious that yeah, clearly that's what he's gonna do. He's only in it for himself. Yeah. I wonder if that would have been a fun way to ha- re- reveal that is like, that's where we learn. He's not a, a, a uh, has any sense of justice uh, is when he suggests that. And then everyone can be like, you're not a cop. Yeah, maybe Yeah, like that. That could have been the point too. 
Greg, anything you uh, anything you like really enjoyed about this? Like, what was what was one of your favorite takeaways? Um, uh, outside of the stuff that I kind of already mentioned, I, I like because I like the opening sequence um, was good. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I I did I did like uh, Carolyn Fry's character, and um, I appreciated that um, both her and um, Richard B. Riddick get. Um, proper <laughs> arcs in this film, um, which you know it doesn't, especially in modern action movies, doesn't seem to happen as as much as it should, right? But like, even when they're as simple as their arcs, like they they work really well to service the action. And um, I I <laughs> I appreciate when movies take the time to to make sure that that's there. Um, and and I thought that her 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 death at the end is is was uh, a bit surprising, and I and I think that that worked for for me as well. Um, the, it, the the ending kind of has sort of like this this bitter sweetness to it, which is um, I think um, you know a proper way to end a horror film. That's uh, you know uh, either they all die at the end, or you or you feel kind of uncomfortable for the person that survived. Right? That's kind of how they go. Um, yeah, yeah. I, that's uh, it, it's overall it's 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 a pretty uh, decent horror sci-fi. Um, you know, it's it's not uh, it's, it's like we said at the beginning. It's far from perfect. Yeah, I, li- I like that they b- both main characters get an arc. I think that's a really good point, and that it's an arc that doesn't end with them kissing. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It, it definitely a refreshing touch. I would go so far as to say that there was never even the chance of there being kissing because there is yeah. no there is outside of Riddick being explicitly creepy to her on a couple occasions. Um, there's clearly no like romantic tension there. Yeah, um, and that that would have been a real easy thing for the movie to do, and it's nice to see that it didn't give into that temptation that it it resisted that went no these are these are two people in a dire situation and this is not the relationship that they're developing yeah yeah i think and i think it's best explored when he's like yo come with me at the end and she's like you're gonna make me choose between dropping what i'm doing and coming with you and like that was a a great moment i had forgotten about that from when i saw it when i was 13 that 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 end scene when he's like yeah i was gonna leave without you but you can come with me if you want uh was was sick it was yeah yeah so good like it's just like putting you know yeah just everything coming full circle for her and her having to having to face her uh her decision when they crashed all over again it's yeah it it works very well yeah but she even says in the opening crash scene uh i'm not i'm not willing to die for these people and before she goes to try to eject them yeah um, and then at the end, Riddick actually like makes her say to him, like, are you willing to die for these people? And she says, yes, I am. Cause cool. she's, she's made that journey, but she still has to pay for the transgression of trying to dump them. And that's why she does not survive the horror movie. <laughs> yeah. It, when you sin in a horror movie, you die in a horror movie. Yeah. It was uh, it, it, very tight in, in all those regards. Um, and the, the final thrust too, the, the, like the, the go from A to B, in the light in what little light we have as quickly as we can um yeah the, it was it was a really well well done ending usually usually these movies we talk about it's like oh yeah act two was fun act one was fine of three fell apart this one i think each act gets subsequently tight like tighter and better 
Yeah, I would I would generally agree with that. I also like that some of the decisions that hamper them later make perfect logical sense earlier on. Not all of them, because there are some characters who make stupid, selfish decisions, as they do in horror movies. But, like, for example, they could have brought all of the energy cells in the first trip to power up the ship. But there was a very logical reason why they decided to bring only one. And in hindsight, it was a terrible idea, and it gets a whole bunch of them killed. But I like that there was, like, a logic to the movie. It wasn't just people making really dumb decisions for no reason. Um, All of their actions seemed to flow from their characters, even if their characters, in some cases, were very one-dimensional. I got a question for you. Um, At a certain point in this movie, the um, big monster pterodactyl things are all flying above the characters running away. They're trying to get into sort of some sort of cover and they, they, they start falling out of the sky and they realize that the monsters are eating each other. And I was just curious, why do you, why do you, why do you think that they were eating each other? Um, and not because, uh, that I think they shouldn't have been or anything like that. I just thought it was an interesting it was an interesting moment in the movie that doesn't really get explored a whole bunch. My headcanon is that uh, during the eclipse, when all of the subterranean monsters are able to come out on the surface, what ensues is a feeding frenzy, and uh, all the surface life gets just devoured. And uh, because there were no humans at that time to devour, uh, they just started eating each other because hence the feeding frenzy Mm -hmm. oh you're weaker than me i guess i'm gonna eat you now um that that was kind of my head canon you're right it's not made clear it doesn't necessarily have to be but like i you know i just i just thought it was a really interesting moment in the movie and it just like it doesn't really lead to anything and i guess maybe that's the only I, sin of, the, of of that particular part that I can think of is like it doesn't really, it doesn't really have an effect on the on the characters other than they get, um, you know, blue goo spilt on them a little. Bit. I honestly I think that's like even even when I watched it I'm like oh yeah they're they're just they're just in nature man they gotta just do, you know they're not even the main target they're just in the shit man uh, and I think that's giving the movie too much credit I think they just wanted an excuse to have it rain blood. Yeah. Um, and they're like, yeah, the, these animals are so brutal that they, these aliens are so brutal that they eat each other. Blah, like, yeah. um, this is actually this brings up an interesting point that I had not considered before. It's interesting that there is not a science character in this movie. No, oh, yeah. There's not. There's not that one guy who like dredges up the corpse of the one that the like one that they kill early on and takes a look and kind of pieces together what they are and gives us a little lecture on how these monsters work. And on the one hand, that's clearly the movie trying to keep a little bit of mystery about them. Like we, they are aliens. We don't know how they work and they work in mysterious ways. Um, and it, it keeps them a little mysterious and scary that way. But on the other hand, it would have been an opportunity to give an explanation for some of what's going on. And, uh, it, I don't know. I, I legit don't know right now in the moment, having just thought of that, if that's a missed opportunity or not. I, I, I feel like I can, I can go to bat at least for my gut instinct, which is, I, I, I think that's a great insight that you, that there isn't the science one, but I don't think it's a missed opportunity because the science guy is Riddick in so much as, um, he's the one who sort of figures out their rules 
and how he figures out their rules is because he is kind of one of them. Uh, there was a really brilliant bit of foreshadowing in the in the movie early on when the characters figure out that light hurts them. Like I think Fry straight up, Captain Fry straight up says, "Oh, light hurts them," and she says that about thirty seconds after shining light on one of them. But she also says that about a minute after Riddick gets blinded in the eyes because someone shines a light in his bare eyes. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, and no, he they're... trips and falls. And I'm like, oh, light hurts him too. Um, like, it, it, and then later, like, he really, you know, when he's uh, when he's face-to-face with one of them, like, doing the back-and-forth thing, like, going toe-to-toe with them, it's, it's, it, I, yeah, I think they're, they're trying to set up that, like, he is, he is one of them. He is a denizen of the dark. And, uh, um save those science moments for having Riddick sort of like ranger the shit out of him. Sorry, D&D yeah, the, brain. No, that's, that's a fair, uh, comparison. And I mean, the movie is not subtle in, uh, yeah. in its, uh, 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 framing Riddick as kind of akin to these monsters. And, and yeah. part of the journey that Riddick is making in the movie is like deciding if he is one of those monsters or if he is like, a, a person if he's willing to fry asks him in the climax like are you are you willing to rejoin the human race and he's being honest when he says i don't know if i i, I honestly don't know if i could yeah so yeah that's that's part of his journey and it's definitely tied into that so i i, th- I agree with you i think you're right i think that maybe the science character is unnecessary because we get to learn about the monsters kind of through riddick I think it seems like we're teetering on the edge of like really workshopping how we want to fix the film. So why don't we why don't we head Let's for break and yeah, get on the other side of it. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no-obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing, and you can feel good knowing you're helping give back to your community with your utilities bills. Learn more right now at parkpower.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We are talking pitch black, but I want to start off right out off the gate here, uh, off the hop. Uh, in the first segment there, we uh, uh, I, I tried to remember some movie I saw where the sun was scorching a planet and people had to run away and stay in the shadows, and it was quickly getting into, like, uh, stoned idiot trying to remember something uh, territory. <laughs> Um, but I would, uh, we, we did a little research in, in the break we took here, and I would love to reassure everyone that is, in fact, the movie Chronicles of Riddick from 2004. <laughs> uh, so I have seen one of the Riddick movies, uh, and because the whole time we were watching this, I was waiting for the part where they have to run, run away from the sun, uh, which I guess is a stupid thing to expect from a movie called Pitch Black. Um, uh, but yeah, so, and then when it did happen, I'm like, it must have been a different movie, and I'm, I'm glad I looked it up. So, in Chronicles of Riddick, the, the, it's the opposite. The sun, too much sun now. Um, <laughs> it's funny I, that I'm you I'm glad we that. got the end of that a- anecdote, and, and that yeah. now it's impossible for me to edit any of that out of the show. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that you were waiting for something to happen in the movie that uh, wasn't in the movie, because Anita when I was watching the movie with her was like, I'm sure I've seen this movie before, but I only remember bits and pieces of it. Cause I must've seen it years ago. And she was like, D- they find some glow in the dark slugs or something. And I was like, I don't think that happens in this movie. And sure enough, late in the movie it did. So I was the fool there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I think that speaks volumes to this movie and what I assume the rest of the Riddick series is. It's like real half-remembered, saw bits and pieces of it on TV. It was good, but also I forgot it immediately. Like, not so bad I remember it. Yeah. I think it's funny how sometimes I can talk up a movie um, as being great and good to other people and then rewatch it after having years not seen it and, and realize, like, I barely remember anything about this movie and I keep talking it up. Why is this happening? <laughs> and I feel like Pitch Black kind of it fell into that vein because I also remember liking it quite a bit. Yeah. And I mean, in its defense, it's not terrible. It's a very watchable movie. If you're looking yeah. for, like, a kind of scary, kind of action-y uh, sci-fi romp, for an afternoon where you don't really want to think about it too hard, this one's a good popcorn flick. Like, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, how can we uh, take it from a good popcorn flick to a great popcorn flick? Good question. I, I will go first. The, oh, okay. Sorry, I was <laughs> nope. I was just gonna mention that on on the on the other side of the break there, um, we were talking about um, Riddick and and him seemingly having. Um, some kind of connection or relationship to the uh, the um, alien uh, bird things, and I'm not really sure where I'm going with this, but it, like it's just there was something about that conversation that sort of sparked some real interest in my in my brain. That it's just like I I felt I feel like um, Riddick's Riddick's implied relationship to the aliens. Uh, on on some level is kind of interesting, but doesn't really play into the movie a whole lot. Like there's a scene where um, him and one of the poor kids is trapped in um, the cargo hold with one of these aliens, and he he's just kind of like staring the alien down. And that at that point, it just seems like they're implying heavily that like. Uh, Riddick has some sort of like extra special relationship to them compared to, or, or at least that he understands them more. And it doesn't really play into the the conclusion a whole lot. Um, it, like the the big thing at the end is like he he figures out that they that if he's at a certain distance from the alien's face, he can kind of hide himself from their vision. But like. It doesn't seem. It, I don't know. He doesn't. It just. I would. I would have preferred for him to have sort of like, either have almost like a supernatural relationship to them, or be shown a little bit more about how he's learning about these things as as they go along. You know, he's an asshole, so perhaps he could just sort of be uh, in the in the darkness, just watching other people uh die or whatever and just sort of learning about them in that sort of cruel way where where people just keep getting axed and he's just like ah i know not to do that now <laughs> i know or i know i know like when people are too close they, they can't really see them yeah that's a, an interesting um i guess it would have given the the kids who died more to do they could have taught riddick a lesson on their way out yeah something i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> I realized that was a bit meandering, but I was kind of like teasing out my thoughts as I was talking, so mm -hmm. I apologize. No, it's it's valid. It's very, uh, absolutely valid. Um. I want to know the characters better, and I know that like for some of them we get to know them very well, and for some of them we kind of get to know them well enough. I think we could have learned a lot more about them all, and it's because um, 
one of the things Nita said actually when we were watching the movie was like, wow, it takes forever to get to the action. And I'm like, that's because much like many set piece movies, you remember all the stuff that happens when the sun goes down in this film, but there's actually quite a bit of it that happens before. And I feel like that time could have been better spent with some of the other characters so that when the danger begins uh, in earnest, we really start to feel their loss and it hits us a lot more. And it's not like there's a lot of survivors for them to give a little bit more uh, characterization to because not many people survive the crash. We spend all of this time with Riddick and with Johns and with Fry, but we could have spent a little more time with the Imam and, and the kids that he's uh, taking on on their on their pilgrimage. We could have spent more time with Jack. We could have spent more time with um, with Paris, the the archaeologist, um, and we could have gotten to know them a little better so that when they're when they all start dying. Like we, we actually do feel bad about it as opposed to just like, Oh, there goes another one. Cause again, one of my earlier complaints about the movie was the movie telegraphs practically from jump, who's going to survive and who's not. And I think it would have been better to be left guessing and to not know who's going to make it out. And so that unlike in the current movie where the only real gut punch is fry dying, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in my concept of the movie, it's a gut punch when everyone dies. Like, it's like, Oh, I was kind of rooting for that guy to make it. Um, and we, we don't get that. And I think that we had enough time at the beginning of the movie that if it was edited a little better and if it was, uh, if it was written a little bit better, I guess, uh, we could have serviced a lot more of the characters as well as we did Fry and Johns and Riddick. Yeah. I wouldn't have even hated, like 10, 15 more minutes of this. Uh, cause I looked at the, the runtime on, uh, before he started watching it and I uh, was like, Oh yeah, a merciful hour 45. Uh, yeah, and the, it clipped, the clipped along does... nicely. And, and yeah, cause I was trying to think like, where we would we put that? Yeah. The uh, pace is the pacing moves along at quite a clip and the movie definitely doesn't overstay its welcome, but I, I agree with you. I think the movie has a little bit more space to breathe. And I think, especially because the third act, like when we get into the third act and the lights go out, it's just breakneck right to the end. And mm-hmm. if if we have a little bit more uh, time to breathe at the beginning, like we've, w- the, the ending carries us to the end, even if it's another 10 minutes long. I don't think, I don't think the movie would have dragged if it had another 10 minutes. Yeah. Because I was trying to think like, where would we put those, those, you know, let's learn more about the character moments. And I'm like, I don't think there's a lot of like actual like, like raw footage i would say needs to be cut i was like no the 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 lingering for ambiance is the right length the like uh the 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 story moves along at a good uh narrative pace and so yeah i think i think the only way we get more time with the characters like you're looking for is to literally tack an extra 10 minutes onto the movie and that might also service the first act because as we mentioned part of the first act is really disjointed because there's a lot of weird cuts and jumps and with 10 more minutes, you could have smoothed that out and you could have smoothed that out with some nice character beats so that we do get a little more time with uh, Shazza and with Zeke and with uh, Jack and, and all the rest of them. Yeah. yeah, Zeke was fine. He's somewhat, some, some red shirt idiot has to die at the beginning. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> definitely the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, uh, we don't need to know more about but, Zeke. But uh, I mean, like, there could have been, been another guy that we, uh, that doesn't show, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it could have been like the, the the straggling survivor or whatever that gets, well, and, that gets it first. And uh, to that point, uh, before we started recording, 
Greg mentioned that while he was checking the Wikipedia on this, it mentions that Zeke and Shazza are lovers. And that is not something that is clear in the movie at all because we don't have much time with them. Yeah, and there's like there's there again. That's another thing you could have added in during that ten minutes is you could have had a little a tender scene between the two of them, which which would then in turn make Zeke's abrupt death as the sacrificial lamb all the more jarring because oh god, we like we kind of liked those two and we we clearly saw the relationship between them. Yeah, they just and now did dude's dead. Yeah, yeah, I did pick that up that they were a couple, but it was only uh, the way she responded to his death. Was like, oh, you're you're responding like your lover's dead. Uh, I didn't know they were lovers until after he's dead. But yeah, that, yeah, exactly right. But he, whether after right. the character's dead or Wikipedia, it's it's too late in both cases. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think the movie could have breathed a little more in the beginning, and we could have had a little more time with the characters. That's my fix. I, I, I had to chuckle to myself because like when you were when you're saying that it's like I mean are we open the episode with a with kind of a, a nod to aliens but that's like that's essentially what you want it to be more like Scott is it's aliens just to be yeah. more like aliens but here's <laughs> yeah. the thing there's a reason aliens works and it's partly because we get to know the crew we get time to live with them on oh. the starship before yeah. the horror happens yeah and we don't for as long as this movie takes to get to the the horror. Uh, climax, we don't get enough time to really know a lot of these people. And uh, I feel like that's, I feel like that's the main place where this movie falls down for me. Yeah. Like the, the moms, like his, his like his, the kids that are with him, like it, I, I don't ever get us like, they don't, I was never clear. Like, you know what the relationship, yeah, is. what the relationship is yeah. or whatever. And like, I think if that was, I think if it was clear and like, we got a sense of like, you know how much he cared for them then we would certainly uh feel a whole lot worse um when they when they die or whatever it, you know I, I i personally would like to sort of rearrange that whole thing around so that you know the kids um are maybe a little bit more a little bit more varied and and maybe um and and maybe they they aren't just simple fodder. I don't know. Maybe one yeah. of them can survive. I would I would go so far as to say I, I you actually got there just before I cut in with it. Uh, I I would actually have one of the three kids survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just that's just my thinking on the matter. Like maybe maybe the kid who gets injured at the end doesn't then get eaten promptly, but makes it to the ship. I think that that's an easy fix, and it also like lowers the death count for the brown people in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like uh, you could also like have a maybe a, a, a add a bit of intrigue that like one of the one of the kids gets perhaps it's like the youngest one or something like that gets so scared that he runs away and then somehow at the end it kind of turns out that he he had managed to get back to the ship uh uh all all the way back to the ship by himself somehow like you know so, something like that to add a little bit of intrigue to the end well, and and it adds it adds to the unpredictability a little bit. Like we're sure he's dead because he ran off, but we never saw him die. Yeah. And then oh, he actually made it to the ship, and it's like it's a little happy hope spot toward yeah, the end, be, just before just before Fry gets ganked. It could it's like, be a oh, great, the kid survived, and now the captain. Yeah. Dead. It could <laughs> like, be a great small thing for the, like a little arc for the the uh, uh, the imam. Where imam. He yeah. he feels like he feels like he's letting down, you know, his his flock or whatever, and. 
as you know you know in in the end it turns out that like uh one of them survived and then that does provide him a little bit of hope so yeah i think that's i think that's a good thing to mr riddick add. there is my god it's yeah, 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 about yeah. riddick when he shows up he says it about his son and he's like or his kid or mm-hmm. disciple or whatever um I, I, it's like yeah yeah yeah, and then sure. Riddick doesn't get coded as a god character. He just gets like, no, look, there is faith and hope, Riddick. If and then and then also it's like if you can have hope in in a god and can, in seeing my son again, maybe you have hope of redeeming yourself and rejoining humanity. Yeah, yeah. No, they're like, and that that all stems back to having more time with those characters, right? Because then we we have a more clear relationship between the imam and his uh, and the three kids in his care, and another one of them gets to survive there you go i have no notes for the aliens uh i thought (laughs) they looked fine and cool uh for everything considered um especially compared to uh um reign of fire and dungeons and dragons that we watched uh on this podcast recently (laughs) and were made around the same time as this movie these things look uh uh uh, a couple degrees better than the dragons from Reign of Fire, and leaps and bounds better than anything in Dungeons and Dragons. So the movie does um, a neat trick in that case, uh, yeah. because the the monsters are only ever in the dark. You only yeah. ever see them in shadow, and that obscures the tackiness of the CGI a little bit. Um, but it does look dated, and I think that this is just another example of me and. All you wannabe filmmakers out there who are listening to this podcast, you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again. Practical effects always age better than digital effects. They they could have had a couple like rubber monsters uh, on animatronics to do some of the close-up stuff with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like added numbers with CGI. And I think that would have helped a little bit. Um, that's just my personal preference maybe, but I think the movie would have aged a little better if some of the monsters had been, had been, uh, animatronics and practical effects. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, there's certainly like the, the, the script called for more than what would be possible with, with just, uh, practical effects in certain places. But yeah, like, like you say, Scott, with close-ups and things like that, just making sure that, you're doing. You've got your creature effects in there to to. Uh, I in general, you know, monsters look better, um, practical anyway, especially close up. CGI yeah, like imagine the scene. Imagine the scene where Riddick is face to face with the monster hiding in its blind spot. Imagine if he mm-hmm. had been like in yeah. front of an animatronic yeah. monster right yeah. there. It would have looked so much better. Yeah. Clever girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Um. Cool. Well, I think we've uh, got some fixes in for Pitch... Uh, I almost said Pitch Perfect. Uh, we've got our fixes in <laughs> for Pitch Black. Was, uh, most and, of those girls died. It was really yeah. tragic. <laughs> oh, no. But our listeners have also shared their insights, and we are now going to share them with you. Thank you to everyone who does comment on our Facebook and Twitter uh, when we solicit these notes. Uh, nice to have you uh, be part of the podcast and participate with us. Uh, Dean Welsh comments... Uh, I just rewatched it last week. It's a perfect film. No notes. I don't count what appears to be, oh, neat, digital can do this. Uh, Weird-ass color grading choices. <laughs> oh, man. Liam, were you and I the only person who liked the color grading on this film? <laughs> I, I I should say uh, I didn't want to split hairs when you were saying it. It's not so much that I liked it. I liked that it was evident that someone was very proud of their work. <laughs> oh, fair it was It was a choice, and yeah. uh, clearly... 
you you respect that it was a choice, and I just kind of liked the effect. <laughs> there was a there was one shot where there was um, a couple lens flares that look like they are straight out of um, Photoshop from 1994. And <laughs> yeah. I did appreciate that. I was like, ah, I feel nostalgic. Yeah, some of these look like Instagram filters. Um, <laughs> Nathan Martin says, this is a fun sci-fi horror flick. Well, it ends up giving us Vin Diesel. The movie is really about Raida Michelle's character, Carolyn. Uh, it's weird that a, uh, is it weird that a planet has three suns? Yes. Is it odd that the crew lands on said planet when a rare eclipse is about to happen? A little, but uh, without it, there's no movie. Uh, now I know what you're thinking. If The Rock was Riddick, would that have made it a perfect movie? No. A surprising comment from Nathan there. He says no to The Rock being Riddick. But, oh, here we go. He's going to correct himself. Uh, but, exclamation point, you swap Cole Hauser for The Rock, and yes, it becomes a perfect movie. What comes after this is Phantom Menace level kinds of shit. Uh, but the third one kind of just comes back to its roots. Yeah, apparently Chronicles of Riddick is very strange. Yeah. There's like, when I was trying to find the thing about the, the sun chasing them, uh, there was like mention of like mud monsters and shit. Uh, yeah, it really seems to go off the rails. I, I think what uh, what Nathan really wants to see would have liked to have seen is uh, the feud between The Rock and Vin Diesel to have started ten years earlier. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a fun that'd be a fun Mr. and Mrs. Smith movie. They should do two dudes, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, that'd be really that would be great. <laughs> do uh, only if it is Mr. and Mr. Smith, and it is explicitly a gay couple. Yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was implied. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I just want to make sure. Or, or we're did you all want the, the title? You, you want the title to be? Uh, ex- anyway. I I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Jordan Cook comments: uh, the whole Riddick series is a bad afterthought to a passable standalone action flick. Uh, I am H O in my humble opinion. Uh, um, yeah, it's interesting that this movie got two spin-off films starring Riddick and I have to believe that Vin Diesel's star power was behind that and also oh, Vin probably. Diesel just liking the character and wanting to play him more cuz as I understand it that's a thing Vin Diesel does if he yeah. likes a character he will like throw money at that problem to scratch the itch and get to play the character more yeah I look I look good in goggles let's uh, do this again <laughs> I mean he does I'm not <laughs> yeah, questioning he, he that He does look good in goggles Cinematological comments. How dare you? The 4K of Pitch Black is really stunning. Great example of early 2000s low-budget filmmaking. Taut, clever, and beautiful looking. Hey, you know what? I'm glad you brought this up because um, the stream on Netflix looked real bad. Like, <laughs> like it looked yeah. real bad. Like, there was, there was in especially in the opening scene, there was, there was a terrible, terrible banding in the, in the color gradients and stuff like that. Like it looked compressed to shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually, I'm beginning to think uh, if you recall last week, I don't know if this was on, on podcast or not, but I was having, I was, I was worried that, uh, when the, uh, temperature went out in my apartment that I had like ruined my new TV because Da Vinci Code looked like shit. Right, yeah. <laughs> then I was like, I and then I was watching this. I'm like, no, this looks like shit too. I think it's just Netflix. I just think Netflix doesn't put old movies out good because I went and switched to something more recent on Netflix and it looked fine. And I'm like, yeah, yeah you know what? I just think Netflix get, streams some movies shittily. Need to get more stuff on that Disney Plus stream where it's uh, really either, high def. either that or let you know. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the movie houses. Uh, only sell them like the 420p 
<laughs> version yeah. of it or something like that. And like, you got to pay mean, us more if you want 1080. That's legit, actually, because uh, then they can save the real quality cuts for the for the DVD release, the Blu-ray mm. release. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a way to make some sweet money. Or maybe it's even like a bandwidth thing, like a wild baseless speculation. I have nothing to be, but like, they're not, exp- you know, they probably know like, you know, first run pot, like Shazam just showed up on Netflix. I bet that looks great because they're expecting everyone to watch it. Whereas they're probably like only a fraction of the users will watch something like Pitch Black. So let's not bother like streaming a really good version of it. Fair yeah, enough, because Great yeah. Gatsby looked pretty good and we watched yeah. that on Netflix, so... Yeah, who knows? I mean, if you're out there and you know you, the yeah. inner workings, if you know of any of the uh, the shenanigans that goes on between Netflix and and other uh, other movie studios, uh, give us a shout because I think we'd be really interested to know. I, I don't know. This is a podcast with three white guys. I think us just brazenly uh, throwing out wild <laughs> speculation baselessly is uh, completely acceptable. Yeah, your oh, curiosity yeah. is not for white men. That's for sure. <laughs> no, please. I like that a lot. If someone does know, I would also like to know. That is all for our listener comments. Thank you to everyone who contributed. Again, when we solicit those on Facebook and Twitter, uh, please uh, share your thoughts if you've seen the movie or you're inspired to go watch it, because we love having stuff to read on air and hearing from you. Yeah, and if you enjoy science fiction in your podcasts, you should also check out Makeshift Stories, an original science fiction podcast right now on the Alberta Podcast Network. You can check that out, along with the rest of the stellar lineup, at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And tune in two weeks for a movie that uh, Liam's just been angling real hard for. We're going to be doing <laughs> uh, The Blues Brothers 2000, uh, which it's going to involve a little homework for, for Scott and I because we have not seen the original Blues Brothers and we felt, yeah, it's yeah, pretty that, necessary to, to, to watch the good one. <laughs> that might actually cost us some serious movie cred, uh, admitting <laughs> yeah. publicly that neither of us have actually sit, sat down and watched uh, Are you the suggesting that I should not have outed us? <laughs> Uh, I think it's too late. I think that that is now in the that's that's in the wild. We're just uh, going to have to live with it. Definitely up there. There's there is basically uh, I've I've seen basically people debate it's this or Wayne's World for the the best uh, Saturday Night Live movie. Uh, another one we're doing. We're going to do Blues Brothers 2000. Uh, but yeah, the original one uh, is just a classic SNL flick. But that's uh, that's for next week. Uh, until then, I'm your host Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Hey, you aren't vaccinated yet. Keep wearing that mask. Black Lives Matter and keep watching the skies. The show you're listening to is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Another show from the network that you should check out is Repodcasting. Have you ever watched a movie and there was an actor in it that was all wrong for the part they were playing? Have you ever wanted to imagine someone else in the role? Never fear. That's precisely why repodcasting exists. Listen as co-hosts and cousins Janet and Lucia recast their favorite and not-so-favorite movies with their dream cast. They also take a moment each episode to imagine which role in the film should have been given to Tony Danza, because, let's face it, Tony Danza would make every movie better. You can find Repodcasting wherever you listen to podcasts or at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening!